This is an ABC podcast. Just a warning before we start. This episode contains some distressing audio. Just over a year after he took office, Donald Trump found himself sitting in the state dining room of the White House, surrounded by grieving children and parents from Parkland, Florida. We, as a country, failed our children. This shouldn't happen. This is Andrew Pollock. His 18-year-old daughter, Meadow, along with 16 other students and staff, had been murdered a week earlier at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. All the school shootings, it, just, it doesn't make sense. Fix it. Should have been one school shooting and we should have fixed it. And I'm pissed because my daughter I'm not going to see again. She's not here. She's not here. She's at, in, in North Lauderdale at whatever it is, King David Cemetery. That's where I go to see my kid now. This was the 12th mass shooting at a school in America in 20 years. During the listening session, Donald Trump was holding a little note card with bullet points. Two of them read, What would you most want me to know about your experience? And what can we do to make you feel safe? A student named Sam Zeif lost his best friend. Practically a brother. And I'm here to use my voice because I know he can't. I was reading today that a person 20 years old walked into a store and bought an AR-15 in five minutes with an expired ID. How is it that easy to buy this type of weapon? How do we not stop this after Columbine, after Sandy Hook? I'm sitting with a mother that lost her son. The last point on Trump's note card said, I hear you. And it seemed that he actually did hear Sam Zeif. He told the nation's governors that the Parkland shooting had inspired him to do something about America's gun problem. You guys, half of you are so afraid of the NRA. There's nothing to be afraid of. And you know what? If they're not with you, we have to fight them every once in a while. That's okay. Previous presidents have discovered that fighting the NRA is impossible. But little did Donald Trump know, the legendary gun rights organisation was weaker than ever before. And he really did have a chance at beating them. I'm Matt Bevan, and this is America If You're Listening, a podcast about how Donald Trump changed the United States and the world. Today's episode, The Second Amendment. 911, what is your emergency? Get in the SWAT team! There's people running for their lives right now. What has Donald Trump done to make America safe again when it comes to mass shootings? This is the story of the most powerful gun lobby group in the United States. The only thing that stops a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. And how it was brought to the edge of collapse. Trump took power with the NRA's help, but when in office, he became the first Republican president in years to take on America's mass shooting epidemic. Could Donald Trump finally defeat the NRA? Or when the moment came, would he flinch? The ads the NRA have been running for the last few years are terrifying. The only way we save our country and our freedom is to fight this violence of lies with the clenched fist of truth. I'm the National Rifle Association of America, and I'm freedom's safest place. 
The NRA wants you to think that the liberal elites in Washington, New York and California are coming for your freedom. And hordes of scary people are coming for your children. And the only way to stop that is with more guns. The modern NRA is run by a guy called Wayne Lapierre. Are you ready to get your country back on the right track? Yeah, let me hear you. Are you ready to fight for what you believe in? Lapierre started his career as a mild-mannered political lobbyist who knew nothing about guns. The safest place you could be with Wayne and a gun back then was in a different state because he really did not know anything about guns. Politics, yes. Guns, no. LaPierre subtly convinced both the gun rights activists and the old-fashioned sporting shooters that he was on both of their sides and rose to the top. Then, in the 90s, after Bill Clinton put a 10-year ban on buying semi-automatic assault rifles... These are military weapons, weapons of war. They were never meant for a day in the country. LaPierre reframed the national gun debate as us versus them. He said the NRA was the only line of defence between everyday Americans and the evil liberal elites who wanted to take away the best gun available to save you from criminals and terrorists. There is no better firearm to defend their homes against realistic threats than an AR-15 semi-automatic. After the assault weapons ban ended, the NRA started saying that the AR in AR-15 stands for America's Rifle. Sales of the military-style gun exploded, and mass shootings did too. And LaPierre made it clear that any politician that stood in his way better watch out. Let every anti-gun U.S. senator and candidate hear my voice. Never go to bed unafraid of what this body can do to your political career. Meanwhile, the NRA turned into a cult of personality, all about Wayne LaPierre. Wayne LaPierre is the NRA. He built the NRA into what it is today. He might not have known much about guns, but he knew how to raise enormous amounts of money. But I have to tell you, our success over the last four decades has also been a lot about Wayne. By 2016, LaPierre had essentially been given full control about what happened with the hundreds of millions of dollars a year being brought into the NRA's bank accounts tax-free. And in that year, LaPierre authorised the biggest political spend in NRA history. Hey, I'm excited to hear Donald Trump, are you? $30 million to elect Donald J. Trump as President of the United States. They spent more on helping Trump get elected than on the previous two presidential elections combined. And by God, we will elect our next president. We will save our freedom. And America truly will be great again. And while Donald Trump promised to make it worth their while... And I just said to Wayne, I will not let you down. Remember that. I will not let you down. There's a slight problem with this relationship, and that is that Donald Trump doesn't actually care at all about gun rights. Despite his sons Don Jr. and Eric making it clear that they love shooting, Don Sr. has always said that they're interested in it 
baffled him. Well, I've never understood it. They are great hunters and they are phenomenal shots and they've been into that all their lives and I never understood where they got it from because it's not me. Even when he accepted the NRA's endorsement, he wasn't convincing anyone that he knew anything more than which end the bullet came out. I've been a member for a long time and my boys are members and they're much better shooters than I am. I'll tell you, they know more about guns than any, I don't know, there might be two or three people in this room, but believe it or not, not many. During one of the Republican debates, the idea that Donald Trump carried a gun around was worthy of a laugh. And I do carry on occasion, uh, sometimes a lot, but I like to be unpredictable so that people don't know exactly. Sure, dude. And one thing we've learned about Donald Trump is that there's almost no opinion he cannot be convinced to change. In fact, his embrace of the NRA is the second opinion he's had on gun rights. In 2000, he said he supported Bill Clinton's ban on assault rifles, which the NRA is very against. But hey, you can't become a Republican president and not be tight with the NRA, right? Nine months into his presidency, a shooting happened in Las Vegas, which would start to pull Trump and the NRA apart. This is the sound of a thousand bullets being fired from the 32nd floor of the Mandalay Bay Hotel into the audience of the Route 91 Country Music Festival in Las Vegas, Nevada. Do you see any of the shooters? Yeah, it's up by the stage. The bullets hit 471 people and killed 58 of them. Please, there's another person shot in the lake. Please hurry up. The deadliest mass shooting in US history. Oh my God. Okay, sir. Oh my God. Oh my God. People on the ground thought they were being fired on by a number of attackers. In fact, it was one guy. A 64-year-old accountant with 24 guns. Why 24 guns, though? Well, machine guns are banned in America, and if you fire a semi-automatic gun as quickly as this shooter was, it gets too hot or even catches fire, and you have to put it down and grab a cold gun. But how do you fire a semi-automatic so fast that it catches fire? With something called a bump stock modification. It's essentially a spring mechanism that means the gun bounces back and forward as you fire it, pulling the trigger on its own. Or as Wayne Lapierre put it... It takes a semi-automatic firearm and it makes it perform like a fully automatic firearm. Why would you need something like that? Well, if you ask the people who sell them... The purpose of the bump stocks is to have fun. It's just a different way of going out and enjoying our Second Amendment rights. Or to allow you to shoot at a crowd of people until all your guns catch fire. As soon as they were found in the Las Vegas shooter's hotel room, the push was on to do something about them, even from Wayne Lapierre. And what the NRA has said is, we ought to take a look at that, see if it's in compliance with federal law, and it's worthy of additional regulation. Regulation? Wayne Lapierre? What? That being said, we didn't say ban, we didn't say confiscate. Okay, regulate, but don't ban or confiscate. Donald Trump, though, didn't hear that last part. So we're knocking out bump stocks. I've told the NRA, I've told that bump stocks are gone. Trump singled out the NRA. He made it clear that no matter what they said, he was getting rid of bump stocks. And he did. 
The carnage in Las Vegas has left many in the country soul-searching, and there's something we haven't seen in the wake of recent mass shootings. Bipartisan dialogue about gun control and the NRA actively engaged. Banning bump stocks wasn't earth-shaking change, but this was a real ban on a gun thing. Trump had opened a door no one ever thought he would. In the context of American gun control, this was a big deal. Then, four months later, on Valentine's Day, Another shooting made Trump think about opening the door even further. 911, what is your emergency? I think I hear gunshots. It sounds like it's over towards the high school. When I found out about that shooting, I was actually in my dorm room at the University of Central Florida. Robert Shentrup is a graduate of Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida. I got a call from one of my friends saying... Hey man, there's been a shooting at your high school. I didn't know if you'd heard about it, but it's on the news. You know, my two sisters went to school there and were there that day. His younger sisters, Evelyn and Carmen, were still students there. Called my mom. Uh, She just found out about it as soon as I did. And then I called some of my friends who went to high school with me, who were in college, and we all got together. And, you know, we're just there for supporting each other as we kind of, as the day went on. Finally, Robert got a call from his sister Evelyn. She was safe. But he still hadn't heard from Carmen. The hours ticked on. At 2am on February 15th, uh, we got the news from the Broward County Sheriff's Department that my sister Carmen, um, only 16 at the time, was one of the 17 victims of the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas school shooting and that she was killed during the incident. Do you know now about what happened to your sister in the school? So she was in uh, one of the first classrooms uh, that was shot into. The shooter strode into the school holding an AR-15 and opened fire. She was shot in the head and killed immediately. Uh, She was a victim in that classroom, along with many others on the first floor that day. For the next couple of days, there was just a a sense of loss that I was really struggling to grapple with. That pain, it it was really the resounding feeling. After the Parkland shooting, Trump jumped to action. He promised to fight the NRA. He held the listening session at the White House, the one where he met the relatives of the victims, and he held other, smaller, less well-publicised meetings, like the one Robert attended. Well, it's exactly like he is on TV. It's not any different than that. He met with us for about five minutes, um, which he's president, get it, he's busy, so fine by me. All of the questions um, that he asked was about the shooter. What's happening to him? Is he going to get the death penalty? Those were his questions. He asked us, do we want to get a picture in the Oval Office? Did that, and then he went off to do something else. I was cautiously optimistic. Seeing the national reaction to the incident, and how it affected people, I thought that, you know, maybe this is a sea change moment. Maybe this is the moral awakening that this country should have had after Newtown. He wasn't going to ban the type of gun used in this massacre, the semi-automatic, but he said that he was going to enforce background checks on people to stop guns getting into the hands of people with serious mental illnesses or people suspected of being terrorists. That sounds like the bare minimum. But to Wayne Lapierre, it sounded like war. It's going to be people like you and me. That's who their check will be. That's what they're after. The names of good, decent people 
all over this great country who happened to own a firearm. Suddenly the guy they spent $30 million to help elect was talking about background checks. So Wayne LaPierre decided to make sure that didn't happen by hiring a guy who knew how to get things done. As you all know by now, my name is Oliver North, Lieutenant Colonel, United States Marine Corps. Oliver North was a Vietnam vet and a hero to right-wing America for something called the Iran-Contra affair. In the 1980s, North helped President Ronald Reagan by coming up with a brilliant and highly illegal scheme to rid the Central American country of Nicaragua of its communist government. The communist government named them Contras, but the truth is they're freedom fighters. He sold missiles to Iran, which was illegal, and then he gave the profits to the right-wing militants fighting against the communists, which was also illegal. With some excellent lawyers and creative use of a shredder, North managed to escape jail time and became nationally famous. Though he discovered when he ran for Senate that he had developed a bit of a bad reputation. My opponent is a document-shredding, constitution-trashing, arms-dealing, criminal-protecting, law-breaking, letter-faking, self-serving, snake-oil salesman who can't tell the difference between the truth and a lie. So, no Senate seat. But he got a good job on Fox News, which added to his fame and prepared him for his next big role. I am proud to announce Lieutenant Colonel Oliver North as the next president of the National Rifle Association of America. So that's Wayne Lapierre, the CEO in charge of running the day-to-day operations of the NRA, talking up the new president, essentially the chairman of the board. For Oliver North, this seemed like a sweet deal. A million-dollar salary and a great gig at the head of one of the most powerful right-wing organisations in America. JoinNRA.org. I'm going to tell everybody, go to that website and become a member of this civil rights organisation. And he set himself a goal. We aim to have a million new members of the NRA. That's my goal. Marines always love a mission. But what Oliver North says he found was an organisation in chaos pouring the money of its six million members into the pockets of Wayne Lapierre and a small number of top executives. These gratuitous payments, the self-dealing, the sweetheart deals, the small group of people connected to senior management and also people within senior management who have gotten very wealthy. This is Mike Spies, a journalist for The New Yorker and The Trace, who has peered into the inner workings of the NRA over the last two years. North began to, I think on his own, developed some concerns about the organization's finances. North immediately became concerned and started to demand access to the books. They were ugly. Lapierre, a man who had made a name for himself, decrying the evils of the elites, was living an elite lifestyle. His several million dollar salary was just the start of it. Mr Lapierre spent hundreds of thousands of dollars of the NRA's charitable assets for personal private plane trips, including extended family, when he was not present. This wasn't with his salary. He was putting it on the NRA credit card. He visited the Bahamas by private air charter at least eight times in an approximate three-year period with his family at a cost of more than $500,000 to the NRA. 
On top of that, he was buying hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of Italian suits for himself and charging it to the NRA. Additionally, he would give enormous sums of NRA money to chosen companies, vendors, for vague reasons. And then those vendors would give him gifts. He travelled on multiple luxury hunting safaris at the expense of an NRA vendor. And the cherry on top. Lapierre arranged that even if he retires or is sacked from his job, they would have to keep paying him. He secured a post-employment contract for himself with the NRA without board approval, currently valued at more than $17 million. By the way, this voice belongs to Tish James, the New York Attorney General. See, the NRA's finances were so bad, they were barely able to scrape together $11 million to spend on political campaigns in the 2018 midterms. Across the country, candidates promising to crack down on the NRA won their races. Tish James was the most prominent. But I think most importantly, as the next Attorney General, I want to go after the NRA. Because the NRA, believe it or not, is a not-for-profit organisation. And I think, and this is my opinion, that the NRA is not a not-for-profit, does not engage in charitable activities, but is nothing more than a terrorist organisation. As soon as she was elected, Tish James came after them. As she started investigating, the NRA claimed that it was on the verge of bankruptcy. Its relationship with its advertising agency collapsed. The slick, scary, clenched fist of truth propaganda disappeared with it. That led to even more legal trouble and massive legal costs. Lapierre says in a secret tape obtained by NPR that the dent in the NRA's budget was significant. The cost. The audio quality is bad, but he says the cost the NRA bore was about $100 million in lost revenue. $100 million hit in lost revenue. In 2018 and 2019. Oliver North pulled the fire alarm, deciding that Lapierre had to go. He attempted a coup against Lapierre in the boardroom. He tried to come in and, and basically tried to get Wayne to resign. It failed. Lapierre accused North of trying to extort him. North buckled and resigned at a private board meeting. But he wasn't done. He gave his deputy a letter to read to the crowd at a big NRA convention the following day. I'd like to read a letter from Lieutenant Oliver North. If Lapierre wasn't worried by this point, he should have been. It was like the fictional detective Hercule Poirot had gathered everyone around the fireplace and was about to point out the killer. The crowd sat silently as the deputy began to read North's single-page letter. In spring of 2018, NRA, EVP and CEO Wayne Lafayette... Okay, it goes on a little bit. But North dropped a bomb on the NRA membership. He outlined his deep concerns about how the NRA was spending members' money and described it as an association in disarray. He revealed that he'd tried to get audits done of its expenditure, but was rebuffed, and that the NRA's very existence as a non-profit charity was threatened. It seemed from his letter that the NRA was rotten to the core. There is a clear crisis it needs to be dealt with immediately and responsibly, so the NRA can continue to focus protecting our Second Amendment. For an annual convention about the celebration of the Second Amendment, this was all a bit of a downer. So once North's letter was over, Lapierre stood, walked to the podium, and announced that they'd be giving some awards to kids. To help us identify the youngest life member that's here today, how about all life members that are born 
in 2007 or after, please stand up. So if you're and the meeting proceeded as though an attempted coup had never happened. But it set dominoes falling. Board members have been resigning consistently ever since, following North out the door. So just as Donald Trump was promising to do something about background checks, just as he was considering fighting the NRA, it was starting to collapse. Mr. President, it's going to have to be you that brings the Republicans to the table on this because right now the gun lobby would stop it in his tracks. I like that responsibility, Chris. I really do. I think it's time. It's time that a president stepped up. Trump went further. He also suggested he was willing to take firearms from people while mental health checks are done on them. I like taking the guns early. Take the guns first, go through due process second. He even thought it would be easy to get the NRA on board. Some of you people are petrified of the NRA. You can't be petrified. They want to do what's right, and they're going to do what's right. I really believe that. I think it was a very Over the course of 18 months, Trump gave interviews and held listening sessions and talked the talk. You're going to have an amazing result. People want to see something happen. This was the moment to finally do something about America's problem with mass shootings. A Republican president and a Democratic Congress keen for action, while the NRA is on its knees. The Art of the Deal president called Wayne LaPierre to talk about it. LaPierre said no. It's as simple as that. Trump asked the CEO of the NRA to do something about guns, and LaPierre just said no. The best opportunity America had in years to do something about this horrific problem fizzled out with one phone call. Trump gave up and reverted to parroting Wayne LaPierre's talking points. I've said for years, and I've been ignored. And I've said it a hundred times. The failure of America's mental health system. It is a mental problem. It's not the gun that pulls the trigger, it's the person. Advocates of gun control, like Robert Shentrop, who lost his sister in the Parkland shooting, were disappointed. You know, once he took that phone call and kind of the flip-flop really happened in terms of his will to actually do something, um, it was something that I was aware could happen. I mean, he is famous for flip-flopping on issues. If there is a quote of him saying one thing, there was a quote of him saying the exact opposite. But I was not surprised when it happened. I, I realized just how shallow kind of that change was um, and that this wasn't something deep that really struck him. It was uh, more of a calculus that he believed it was the way that people wanted him to react. Uh, but once he heard from the people that helped him get elected, that that was not what at all what they wanted him to do, he very quickly changed his tone and opinion about it. Trump moved on to other things, offering to buy Greenland from Denmark, to be exact. Change may be on the way nonetheless. New York Attorney General Tish James has made it clear she is coming for the NRA's head. Just a few minutes ago, my office filed a lawsuit against the National Rifle Association to dissolve the organization in its entirety for years of self-dealing and illegal conduct that violate New York's charities law and undermine its own mission. The NRA is tough, and it won't go down without a significant fight. And if they survive, they will do everything in their power to stop a potential Biden administration from bringing in gun control laws. Donald Trump's brief journey into the land of gun control was a serious opportunity to make America safe again to take a step towards preventing some of the mass shootings which have become a plague across the country. 
but Donald Trump was too distracted or too uninterested to do the work. America, if you're listening, is written by me, Matt Bevan. It's produced by Yasmin Parry and Will Ockenden. Our interview producer is Alex Ty. Next. North Korea best not make any more threats to the United States. They will be met with fire and fury like the world has never seen. During Donald Trump's time in office, the United States has come very close to war a number of times. Not just with North Korea. The White House is ordering the USS Abraham Lincoln Carrier Strike Group to the Middle East. But with another aspiring nuclear power. National Security Advisor John Bolton says it's in response to troubling warnings from Iran. Yet war has never come. And the reason for that may surprise you. That's next on America If You're Listening.